to All Heart with Paul Cardall and Mark Mabry. We're so excited today because we have an extraordinary talent. He is the uh, gifted, brilliant Jim Daniker, who he actually produced my Christmas record, which was quite the experience. We'll talk a little bit about that. But he's an award-winning and billboard chart composing producer who specializes in the bold. The bold, the evocative, and the memorable, and his music is some of the most beautiful melodies. And uh, when I listen to the record Ad Alta, I am motivated as a composer myself. And uh, so welcome to the show, Jim Daniker. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Can I dive in on Ad Alta real quick? Because I was listening to it in the car just to like get in the right mood. And I found myself speeding up, slowing down, speeding up. Like, it was completely <laughs> well, hypnotic. Well, then I did my job. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's perfect, like, focus music. Mood-altering, beautiful Good. stuff. So. That's awesome. I got one or two speeding tickets working, working on that record. Because <laughs> <laughs> you took my scars, bruises, and broken heart, and all the pain. All heart with Paul Cardall. Like you, his guests are all heart. Just a reminder to subscribe to All Heart with me, Paul Cardall. It's a really beautiful record, and Jim, obviously, you're on the road a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim has also been the musical director for Michael W. Smith. Uh, if you're unfamiliar who Michael W. Smith is, he's a what is he, the king of Christian music? <laughs> it's, some would call him that. More people probably know who Amy Grant is if they don't know who Michael is. He's kind of her counterpart. They are the two probably best-known names in contemporary Christian music. They've both been doing it for between 35 and 40 years. Amy started in the late 70s, and Michael in the early 80s, just a few years behind her. They're not Donnie Murray. No, no. <laughs> they're not no. married. And they're not married. No, they're not married. He, he. Um, I think some people probably who don't know them well make that mistake, but he started as a songwriter and quickly became her musical director, keyboard player. Wow. And then uh, quickly launched his own career. Uh, he took off not long after her. But she's married to Vince Gill, and uh, Michael's married to a girl named Debbie, who they've, they've been married for, gosh, I think 36 years. You live here in Nashville, and... Tell us where you came from and and uh, why why Nashville? Well, let's see. I moved to Nashville in May of 1995. I think I knew in eighth grade, which would have been... And where were you? Allentown, Pennsylvania, up in the Northeast, Billy Joel territory. I just knew. I mean, it, back in the 80s and early 90s, it was just a given that if you wanted to work in Christian music, you had to be in Nashville. You know, if you want to swim with the fishes, you got to jump in the in the right water. So Christian contemporary music, or CCM as people called it back then, it was just heavily based in Nashville. So I knew early on that that's where I would have to go. The shortest version of the story is I went to about a week of college. <laughs> my parents made me promise. I, my dad was a pastor, and they, there just wasn't the money to, to send me to a, you know a, an expensive college. So I was paying for it. I was working at a music store for about a year and a half after that, and it just got to the point where I knew that I was just swimming upstream. I I just thought I got to get to Nashville. 
So I went to a travel agent, bought a plane ticket, and uh, not knowing a soul here, it was so obviously a God thing because 10 minutes after I bought that plane ticket, I got a call from a guy named Denny Keatsman, who was DC Talk's tour manager. And wow. DC Talk was, yeah. they, that, they were at their pinnacle at that time. They were like a hip hop. Yeah, like Christian a hip hop, group, uh, pop, rap, you name it. And um, so they called me out of the blue and said, we know that you want to move here. We've got a job if you want it, but it's not glamorous. It's driving a truck around the country for the summer, setting up band gear. So I thought, well, I just bought a plane ticket 10 minutes ago. So, so I came down. They officially hired me, and I also got a job at a music store um, just to fill in the gaps, you know, and, and pay the bills. So that first six months in town, that's what I did. And I also ended up running sound for a guy named Mark Lowry, who's a Christian comedian. He does a podcast. Which he's is, hilarious. Oh, he's great. And so that was my six months of paying my dues. And then uh, November of that year, I got a call from Michael's keyboard player at the time, and they said, we need somebody who can basically build Michael's tour, his show from the technical side of things. Um, Pro Tools had just come out. Nobody knew how, how it worked back then. And that's kind of what I did. I'm very technically minded. And so they hired me for that first tour to um, run the show, build the whole behind the scenes thing that ran that. So that's what I did for the first year. And that um, was fast. That's a big job too. Yeah. It was, it, it, when I look back on that, I think they hired some unknown unproven 22-year-old kid who just moved to Nashville, that kind of blows my mind. Why do you think they hired you? Well, they definitely did their homework on me. The people that I worked for with DC Talk, they did a lot of, you know, asking, you know, does he know his stuff? And um, they came to my apartment and saw that I had this immaculately wired, you know, studio that I built. And How many keyboards? <laughs> it's funny. I had gotten rid of all my keyboards because software was kind of taking over. And right. so I kind of veered away, but I did have a, a, an impressive looking setup and they knew that I wired all of that and they could tell I was a bit of a, a keyboard nerd. And so they figured, okay, well, he knows what he's doing with that stuff. And um, so I think they just took a chance. It became evident, I think, pretty quick that, you know, Michael, that was still his heyday. He still had stuff on pop radio back then. And so he couldn't come to rehearsals a lot of the time. What I really wanted was to play in his band and that just wasn't going to happen yet. And so, uh, however... Because he couldn't show up a lot of the time, I would fill in for Michael during sound check and rehearsals for six weeks. That was a big tour. And so it, it kind of quickly became a joke that I was the fifth Beatle and uh, I would yeah. play his parts and sing. You know, I, that's all I did for 10 years leading yeah. up to that point was learn how to be. I wanted to be the next Michael W. Smith at that point. And um, so they knew pretty quickly that I could play. But um, that first year I was... You know, it was strictly a technical role, and and um, how many times did you play this song? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> um, I wish I knew. I wish I had counted. Uh, you know, I figure on average, if we do a hundred shows a year, yeah, times I've been with him twenty-four years, that's at least twenty-four hundred times. Not counting the times you rehearse and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, in the nineties, clearly Michael's music was very a lot of keyboards oh yeah a lot Always of keyboards it was yeah. like ted nugent's nightmare <laughs> right and right. every piano player's fantasy right yep and one thing i noticed when i went to your studio for the first time i thought i was in the death star <laughs> from star wars and he is a star wars fanatic and yep. i i saw all these keyboards mm -hmm. and i sat in that seat 
to lay down, you know, some some keys and stuff. And I, I literally, I thought I was gonna, Darth Vader was gonna walk in. <laughs> and there's more and since, choke me. since we finished your record. Years ago, I heard a very well-known motivational speaker for musicians. His name is Tom Jackson, and he asked a question of artists. Do you feel driven or are you led? What is, uh, what is guiding you behind everything you do? Well, it's an interesting question, and I love when you don't have a chance to hear questions in advance because then you're on the spot. And, um, as far as whether you're driven or led, to me, it's I would say it's both because certainly in terms of personality, I'm very driven. I'm definitely the type A. I tend to know what I want, and I'll do anything to go after it tenaciously so you know I think that's part of being an artist I think most artists are like that on the other hand I think I'm very much led by what I believe I firmly believe that guys like you and I Paul I mean I think we see ourselves we've had conversations about this we are stewards of the gifts that we're given and you know I, I can't take credit for the musical gift that I have I feel like it was given to me and so I've always got this question in the back of my mind, you know, what am I doing with this? I'm, I'm very conscious of time. You know, I think since losing my dad two years ago, especially, I'm just very aware that my dad was 34 years older than me, give or take, maybe I've got 34 years left here. And what am I doing with that? That almost gnaws at me, you know? And so I'm, I'm very, very aware of, okay, it's Monday. What am I doing with, with today? You know, and in light of what I believe, if this is a gift that I've been given, and I want to use that for, you know, Bach used to write Soli Deo Gloria on everything he wrote, to God be the glory. That is my motivation. And whether it's a, a pop rock track I'm working on, which isn't an overt, might not necessarily be an overt quote-unquote Christian song, or an instrumental piece, I hope that people somehow listen to the stuff that I work on and think, man, there's, there's something deep there. So that's the part about being led. You know, I'm always asking myself, you know, am, am I following my leader? You know, I feel like God has laid out a path for me. I don't necessarily know what that is all the time. I'm always trying to figure that out. So somewhere in there, there's a balance of being led by, by what I believe. And at the same time, wanting to make the most of that and being very driven to try and do my best to accomplish that with right. the time I have, you know, it's, it's, it's a mystery, you know, it's, and it's both. And, you know, I'm, I'm very it's, much trying to figure out every day, like, how do I make this happen? And, and <laughs> well, knowing I can't necessarily make anything happen. All I can do is do the best with what I'm given every day. And it's amazing the way we met. I didn't know anybody in Nashville when I came here, I came here with the intent because God put it on our heart, go back to Nashville. Uh, my wife and I, we came and we kept every our business out in Utah with the, the, the studio and the house and everything. And we just came and moved into a hotel for a month to figure out why we felt led to be here. And then I started thinking, you know, maybe I'm supposed to collaborate with some artists. And we went out to lunch with my wife's friend, childhood friend, from years ago in Cleveland, Ohio. They've been friends their entire life. And she says, I know someone in the music business. He used to be a keyboard player, I think. Anyway, she connected me with that keyboard player who used to be 
the keyboard player for Michael W. Smith. And he basically said to me, I'm not your guy. Jim Daniker is your guy. And then I saw Jim's photo and I recognized him from, because I'm a, one of those music nerds that knows who everybody on somebody's team is, the people behind the scenes. And I knew this was the guy. He And I, I looked at him as Aaron to Moses. <laughs> and that's, you know, I've, I've said that to you in the past. But that didn't mean I was going to be like, okay, I'm going to use Jim to produce this record. When we met, when we met, it was your character and how the spirit of who you are, but that spirit of who you are is so Christ-centered that that's what I wanted. And I knew that I could just, I could trust you with my audience Mm -hmm. to take them on this journey. And it's been, I mean, incredible. And, you know, for those of you listening that have heard the Christmas record, it's me and Jim. I mean, I, I wrote the basic elements of these songs, but the producer has so much involvement. I felt led to you, not driven. Yeah. And I don't know, Mark, is this true that, and maybe Jim, you can answer this. Do you think people are driven when they don't have a lot or are they led? Meaning we chase things because we want to provide for our families. We want, we're trying to go into survival mode. Do we, do we drive that way or do we just put all our trust in God to lead us to what we're supposed to be doing. Do we wait on the Lord that way or do we keep pushing? There again, I think it's both, firmly both. At least it's been my experience. You know, after doing this for almost 25 years, I can look back and observe that, you know, on one hand, again, I'm, I'm super, super driven, definitely that type A. If I get an idea in my head, I'm like, man, I will figure out a way to, to do it. It doesn't mean it always works, but but you, I tend to be very tenacious that way. But on the other hand, I can look back and realize that, oh man, I could never have orchestrated the way things fell into place, especially my initial story of getting here. And, uh, you know, my family used to tease me, you know, they, they'd kind of chuckle when I would say as a teenager, no, I'm, I'm going to go to Nashville and someday I want to work with people like Michael W. Smith, and Amy Grant, and they would just kind of laugh and say, well you might want to have a backup plan because, you know, your chances are probably better of getting struck by lightning. And now, of course, you know, just two, three nights ago, we played in near my hometown and my family was there and they always bring that up. They say, yeah, we, we always laughed when Jim would say that. And here we are coming to yet another Michael W. Smith concert. And, and I never could have orchestrated that. I mean, there's so much to this story that we just don't have time to tell. You just could not convince me that God did not pick me and lead me on this path that I just, I could, I, I, that's what I wanted, but I never could have made that happen, even as tenacious as I was. I think God used that because, gosh, I started sending <laughs> demos and and uh, resumes as if I had a resume, you know, as a teenager to Michael's management office thinking, well, maybe they'll take me out of school and take me on tour. You know, I w- that was incredibly naive, but that's how tenacious I was. And by the time they, you know, finally gave me the job, they thought, man, we just got to shut this kid up and, <laughs> and give him a chance. So, you know, that's that part of that mystery. I think God uses that. He, he wired me in a way to, to go after it. Yeah. On the other hand, I couldn't have done it without him clearing the path and making it happen. It's just, it's amazing to me. I've met your mother. Yes, you have. <laughs> and your mom, if you want to know how Jim gets where he is, 
his mother has so much love. Yeah. She loves this boy right here mm -hmm. and your father. Yeah. You know, your father, you told me, you know, how after your father passed, you yeah. got his Bible. Yeah. And you've been able to go through that. Yep. This kind of leads us in another path because yeah. we're being led right now. I'm very curious when you got your father's Bible, it, Jim's father preached for, I don't know how many years. Yeah. 50 years. 50 years helping thousands of people mm. have a personal relationship with Christ. You get this Bible from your father. What verse of scripture popped? Which one stood out when you first opened it? This is crazy. So, you know, here we are preparing for his funeral. You know, a lot of times people will put out a person's, some of their, their artifacts, their, you know, their, their favorite things on a table, you know, for people to see. And right in the middle of it was this Bible. And um, my dad being a pastor, he had dozens of Bibles. He had study Bibles and concordances and, you know, all different translations. And my dad was brilliant. He knew his stuff. He knew Hebrew, Greek, German. He was a student. So he understood errors in translation. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had to really communicate. My dad's my hero. I mean, he's yeah. one of those guys that I could just ask him anything, and I knew I'd get a solid answer. So anyway, this particular Bible was, I don't know if there's anything special about it. It was the one that he had been using the last few years, and he read through the Bible every year. And I just happened to pick it up, and I was thumbing through it. And one of the first things I noticed was, every page was filled with his margin notes, just handwritten notes, things he had observed. And I asked my, my brother and my sister and my mom, I'm like, could I, would you guys care if I took this? And, you know, I'll send it back if you want. I just want to live with this for a bit. So that was the first thing that struck me was just how well-worn it was. And it was only a few years old. So he had, you know, he, he devoured this thing and you know, like any good pastor. So the day after his funeral, I'm flying back out on the road to meet the Christmas tour. I picked it up, and I just happened to open it at random. It was 2 Corinthians, I think, 5, talking about how God's promises of we're going to get a new body. And it, it could not have been more specific. And the crazy thing was, this was November 25th, my dad's birthday. Two years prior was the t that particular day he had read this passage so here I am reading exactly two years to the day that he happened to read this the last time. And he wrote in the margin, what a great birthday promise. Because he, he was in a lot of physical pain. He had a yeah. lot, of, lot of issues with his body. His body is wear, was wearing out. Mm -hmm. He was looking forward to these promises of a new physical body. And, 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 you know, so for me to read that, and of course I'm devastated. We just buried my dad, you know, and... And my biggest fan, I mean, you, you met my mom. My dad right. was the same way. He oh, yeah. could not go out to eat without asking a waitress, have you heard of Michael W. Smith? <laughs> because my son plays for him. And, you know, it was embarrassing. And, and Michael talks about his dad, the same thing. Our dads were he two of a kind. helped him part the Red Sea. Yeah. They, they were two of a kind. And, and it, you know, I was like, Dad, come on, you know, you're embarrassing me. But he was such a fan and such a believer in what I did. And so on one hand, I'm sobbing. On the other hand, I'm smiling because I thought you know what? I'm good. I'm going to see this man again sooner than later, as fast as life goes. Before we know it, you know, I, I'm going to join him. And, and so it, it just was an incredible gift to me to not only have his handwritten notes, but it's like my dad was passing the torch, you know, and, and here I am holding his particular Bible and thinking, man, I've got everything I need to see my dad again.
And so it's, it's hard. I miss him terribly, but I have zero doubt that he left me the instruction manual to see him again. But the fact that it was two years to the day that I read that and he had written that in his Bible, it was, you know, it was November 25th, 2016, or 2015, excuse me, it was 2017 that, that he passed. So yeah, it's crazy. And I think God gives us little presents like that, you know, little encouragements along the way, you know, people, well, where's God? Where's God in my suffering? And he's there, you know, and he speaks today and he, he still does it through his word. And music. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Music is, uh, I mean, that's the beautiful thing with the fact that, you know, you're an instrumentalist Yeah. without the lyrics. Yeah. It crosses so many boundaries. Yep and borders and you're yeah. able to communicate those feelings of the spirit of your love for your father. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to ask you what advice you have for people, but I think the very fact that you said, here's an instruction manual mm-hmm. in reference to the Bible on yeah. how to, how to find what you're looking for. Yeah. I like that. I think that's yeah. a, yeah. you know, it's nice to have a map, a GPS <laughs> that guides us in higher things. You know, because we're living in a time where we're all addicted, we're all, there's not enough time, and, you know, we just want things to slow down. But unfortunately, we're going a thousand miles a minute, literally, because the earth is spinning. Right, right. And instead of, you know, like Galileo's theory a long time ago of the... You know, everything revolving around the earth, and I think it stands true today. Yeah. Everything is revolving around those who stand on the earth. You're right, right. <laughs> um, it's wonderful. I have one question sure. that I think will, will be insightful and useful. On one hand, you produce. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you're a composer. Mm-hmm. And for those that are familiar with production, composing, all, all the different roles, mm-hmm. they're wildly different in, like, mojo of the role. right. Right. How do you go back and forth between the roles and find success in each? What's your philosophy if you have one? Still figuring that out. They are definitely different roles, but I think, at least for me, they both have the same target in mind. You're, You're trying to, ultimately, you're just trying to create great music, something that leaves an impression. When I was marketing my Ad Alta record, I kept using the Hans Christian Andersen quote that where there are no words, music speaks which I love. You know, Paul, you were talking about that a second ago. It is perhaps the only universal language that we have. I mean, everybody in the world can hear a certain piece of music and be moved by it in some way. And it's going to mean something different to everybody. But if I'm strictly composing something, I'm trying to create something that's going to move people. And it's the same with producing. You know, when Paul asked me to produce his Christmas album, the goal was the same. Help to create an evocative, uh, emotional journey for people that when they listen to it, it takes them somewhere. Whether I'm in the role of producing, which is helping somebody else achieve that goal with their music, or composing my own stuff, it's all the same, you know, yeah. same net result, ideally. And, and a good example of that, Mark, would be the artist is kind of like an architect. He has an idea of what he wants. And he may lay down the cement, some of the cement, but ultimately the producer builds everything. And that home, because a song is like a home, something you go and you feel comfortable and warm. What the producer does and what Jim did was he then helped me build this home, 
with all the players, but then he would add like an interior designer, all these little elements where I, I listened to, to my Christmas album, even though it's mine, I listen to hear Jim Daniker because I'm a fan. That's great. And, and sometimes I go, wait, where am I? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the beauty of collaboration yeah. and working together yeah. is, and, and I'll say this a million times, Jim is an exceptional human being. He is Aaron to so many Moseses. <laughs> and Moses, you know, he's out there holding up his hands. You know, he had to raise the the arms. Mm-hmm. That was the hell of the scripture of, of sustaining him. Mm-hmm. And he got so exhausted. But here comes Aaron and Joshua yeah. to help sustain him. And Jim, you're doing that all the mm. time for Michael, yeah. uh, Amy, for other people, for me. So I just want to say thank you. Oh, man. The feeling's mutual. It's an honor to be asked when somebody believes in you. I never take that lightly. So, I mean, doing that Christmas record was a huge honor for me. You know, it's, it's not something that happens every day, you know, and, and especially when, when somebody's experienced some success, you know, it, it yeah. means a lot. And and because you you should never, as a producer, take for granted that somebody's trusting you with their material. They're, it's their baby. You know, in reverse, you know, when I'm doing my own stuff, like right now I'm finishing a, a, a song, I've always had a hard time handing my stuff over to somebody else because I know exactly what I want. And so most of the time I end up doing it all myself. And I don't necessarily like that because the the best stuff comes with collaboration. Yeah. On the other hand, when it comes to some of the technical details, like like mixing or, or um, you know, things like that, the times that I have handed my stuff over to others, I, I'm always, almost always, uh, or I'm rarely satisfied. I'll get it back and I think, well, yeah, that's, there's some great, some, some good stuff there, but I'm hearing this and you didn't do that, you know, and so I, I've just, it's a tricky thing. And so when somebody hands their stuff over to me, I think, man, this is, it's a big responsibility because I know how it feels as an artist to have a vision for something, that's not something to take for granted. No, when you have vision of how you want it to be and what yeah. you hope it to be, and you have, you know, the great thing with God is he's handing his greatest creations over to to all the time, and yet he stays so involved. Mm-hmm. We yeah. can tend to go, oh, well, he just passed off his greatest creation <laughs> to people yeah. that don't have no clue what they're doing. Right, right. We don't have instruction manuals. Right, right. And yet we're, he maintains his involvement. And yeah when you pass out music and pass it over, yeah, you don't get any more say after that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like it's out there. Right. You can't go back and fix it. Right. You know, I listen to a lot of songs. I go, I wish there was a repentance process for making albums <laughs> so we could go back and do the song better, Yeah, which is why you have the remaster and the right, right. deluxe version, all that stuff. But uh, even with your photography. Oh, I look art, through it and I'm like, oh, do over, please. Yeah. Yeah. That's the artist's curse. We're never, you know, George Lucas, going back to our Star Wars nerd nerdery. Yeah. Uh, I love his quote about how um, a movie is never done. It's only abandoned. Mm. And it's true of any art. You know, I don't think any artist is ever fully satisfied with their, their, their work. You have to find that, that cutoff point of, okay, you don't ever want to say it's good enough, but you, you do have to find that point at which okay, am I just splitting hairs here? And, and it, But yeah, we all go back and look at our stuff from a couple of years ago. I'm like, yeah. oh, what was I thinking? I could have done that so much better. And it's hard. Especially after we know what happened to George Lucas after he handed everything over. <laughs> Boy, this could go in a tangent. So, uh, you know, uh, 
Yeah. Welcome to that's the basement, a guy folks. That's a guy you had to... <laughs> yeah. Mark, we're pulling out Dungeons and Dragons later. You want to They were doing this to me by? before we started. These guys got, started we're to go nerd. And I was like... programming our Casio watches over here yeah. to <laughs> yes, sync with our are. Casio keyboards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. come on over. I love it. <laughs> well, Jim... Appreciate you so much. Stop yeah. by on all heart. Yeah. And thanks for having me. And um, is there any particular place you like people to visit? Is there, is there a website, a, a Facebook or? Uh, uh, probably these days, I think we're all most active on social media, you know, uh, Facebook and Instagram. That's certainly what I keep up to date the most. I mean, my website, that's a general repository for, you know, overall stuff, which is just www.jimdanneker.com That piece you're playing was my dad's favorite and I actually printed the score to that the cello part and put it in the casket with him It's called Prayer for Mercy There was five months between when that album came out and when he went to heaven and he would drive around with the car windows open and blast it for everybody. That's the kind of dad he was. <laughs> this is just amazing. Thank you so much, Jim. Yeah, thank you. Cause you took my scars, bruises and Billboard pianist Paul Cardall. Do you believe in miracles and second chances? Over a decade ago, I was raised from the dead. Read Paul's story, The Broken Miracle, by J.D. Netto. Visit thebrokenmiracle.com.